Thank you, Jesse. Good evening, everyone. Hope you're well. Um, yeah, my name's Bob. I'm one of the team at the church and uh, love being part of this family. And uh, I just want to f- um, plug, uh, there's an alpha course that we're starting um, in October, right at the beginning of October, uh, in this building on Monday nights starting at 7.30 to about 9.30. So if you've got people in your world who would love to ask questions about faith and have a great context to do that in, go on a journey of exploring what Christianity is all about, and uh, or maybe they're just asking questions about where they fit in in the world, then this is a 10-week course um, which gives an amazing context for them to ask those questions and find out a bit more. So um, there is, I think there's some of these cards around somewhere. Toby's got them there. They're at the back over there. Um, feel free to take a few. Just put them in a place where you could hand them out to friends and family. And uh, there'll be some e-invites going out as well. But just wanted to flag that um, to you before we started. Okay. So let's dig into this, um, this amazing passage. Um, and why don't we pray as we do that? Um, Father, we thank you so much for your word, and Lord, we thank you that, uh, Lord, it is a light to our path, and it shows us who you are, and Lord, we pray now as you come by your spirit and reveal more of yourself to us through it. Lord, speak to our hearts and lead us more into the fullness of life that you've promised us, and Lord, the ways of your kingdom, and the as we work out what it means to be your followers and your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, this is the first, it's a standalone kind of preach, so we're not working through Mark's gospel. So I thought I'd just give you some highlights as to what's been going on beforehand and where we find this story in the gospel. So it's in chapter 10, um, but Jesus has been ministering for some time with his disciples. So uh, he's, he's not brand new on the scene. Okay? He's not just burst onto the scene. He's been walking around and doing some stuff that's been you know, shaking things up around the place. He's been healing the sick. He's been raising the dead. So people have seen that. Jesus is doing that stuff. He's casting out evil spirits. He's performing miracles of provision. So the feeding of the 5,000 where he uses a little boy's lunch to feed 5,000, probably about 20,000 people who are actually in attendance. Jesus has been doing this stuff already up, up until this point in, in Mark's gospel. Um, in Mark 6, so earlier on, uh, it's in verse 56, it says, And wherever he went, this is talking about Jesus, into villages or towns or countryside, they placed those who were ill in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. So this is happening. This stuff is happening. So the word about Jesus is out. People are excited about who he is, about encountering him. The word is out. This, this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, is, is on the move. And there are wonders. The wonders of God are in his pres- happening in his presence. Miracles. People being raised from the dead. All that kind of stuff. And so, um, and just before this moment that we're reading today, Jesus has he's crossed over the River Jordan. And uh, a bit like the people did, the people of Israel did, when they entered the promised land. Jesus is almost retracing these steps of the people of Israel when they came to Jericho. Remember, there's a story in the Old Testament where they march around the walls of Jericho and they, came, they come tumbling down. And Jesus is almost mimicking this journey as he crosses over the Jordan, not with 12 tribes of Israel, but with 12 disciples, towards Jericho and then towards Jerusalem, where... He's going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey and be worshipped as the 
the son of David. The, the, the place is going to go wild for Jesus. So we're just before that moment where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And this moment in Jericho, we, we don't know a lot about what's happened. Um, Mark doesn't say a lot about it. In Luke's gospel, um, we, we get the, um, Luke gives the account of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. The, the, Jesus' encounter with him happens in Jericho in this moment where he sees Zacchaeus in this tree and he says, hey, I've got to come to your house today and hang out. And Zacchaeus' life is radically transformed. So that's happened in the day, in the day at some stage. And then this part of the story is, uh, is Jesus leaving Jericho and what happens as he exits the city. Um, and what I want us to do to look at this passage is basically look at some of the things uh, to almost sort of metaphorically close our eyes and to become blind like Bartimaeus and to focus on the things that Bartimaeus would have heard in this encounter with, Je- with Jesus. The sounds that we read about in this story. You know, blind people often have um, an incredibly developed sense of hearing, don't they? As they, they can't use their, their sight for, for whatever reason, but their sense of hearing is heightened in some way. And, and I want us to, to kind of lean in to the idea of like, let's listen to this passage. Let's listen to the noises in this passage as we look through it and allow the noises to help us um, understand more of what maybe what Jesus is saying to us through it. So what's the first thing, that the first noise that's heard in this passage? Well, Bartimaeus hears of Jesus. There's a, there's a hustle and a bustle and he hears of Jesus. Verse 47 says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout. So the first noise that we kind of like encounter in the passage is Bartimaeus hearing about Jesus, that Jesus is around. He's heard of what Jesus is doing, the whispers and the stories, the healings and the miracles, the teaching, the power and the authority of Jesus. He's heard about all this stuff. And now he hears that that Jesus is here walking past in front of him. And, and he's allowed what he's heard about Jesus to, to move his heart, to do something in his heart. You know, to grow uh, almost this seed of faith about who Jesus is. It's like he's treasured up the things that he's heard about Jesus in his heart. You know, there's a verse about that in the Bible where Mary does that. It says when Mary receives news from the angel Gabriel about that she's going to give birth to, to Jesus. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. And it's like Bartimaeus has treasured up the things that he's been hearing about this man, Jesus of Nazareth, and he's pondering them in his heart. He's allowing what he's hearing about Jesus to move his heart. And now he's heard that this this person of who the stories that he's hearing are kind of centered around is passing by in front of him. And, it, and his heart is stirred. And the answer to his problem is right in front of him. Faith is stirring inside of him. Something's activating, isn't it? So what's the next sound we hear in the story? The crowd hear Bartimaeus' faith-filled cry. Don't they? He cries out. Verse 47. He began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I, I love this moment that Bartimaeus gets to because it's kind of like he's at, the, he's at the point of no return once he's opened his mouth and said something like that. 
It's like he's, he's suddenly proclaiming and declaring who he thinks this person is. It's like you can't go back from making a statement like that out loud once you've made it. He's committed. He's put it out there. It's all in one place. It's like I remember hearing people talk about faith, you know. This, this is what it is. He's speaking out in faith. Faith being like standing on the top of a really tall diving board and you look down in this pool, but there's no water in the pool. And you feel like, okay, God, fill that pool with water and I'll jump. And it's like God says to you, jump and trust that by the time you get there, there'll be water in the pool, you know? For Bartimaeus in this moment, he doesn't know, but he's got faith. There is something about Bartimaeus' statement, how he reaches out with his words in this moment, that it's like he's jumped off that diving board and he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You know, faith, that level of faith is like, it's like when the Israelites get to the edge of the promised land, if you know that story, the land they've been promised by God to enter into. And they look at it and they see that the land is good and it's got some amazing things in it and it's fertile and, you know, but they can't bring themselves to find the faith to step into it. They can't make that step. It would be like Bartimaeus knowing that Jesus is there, but not being able to open his mouth and say something. Faith is a place that Moses gets to when God told him, raise your staff over the water. And he does it. And the waters divide. And the people of Israel, that's faith, isn't it? Acting on what you know and what you believe to be true. It's the place Queen Esther was when she walks uninvited into the king's presence. Faith and trust making a move. You're not sure exactly what's going to happen, but you're making a move. You're trusting in God. It's the place Noah was when he builds an ark in a desert. It's the place Mary was when she trusted in the promise that God had given her through the angel Gabriel. It's the place that Abraham and Sarah were when God tells them they're going to have a child and at 90 and 100 years old, they still have not had one. But they have faith that God is going to do something, that God is working in the midst of their situation. So Bartimaeus shouts out these words and they're words of great significance, aren't they? They echo the promise of who is coming, who God is going to send, this Messiah. You might, you might recognize these words from Isaiah. We say them a lot at Christmas. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Do you recognize them? And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. Bartimaeus knows these words, and he's saying, this is the king who's going to reign on David's throne. These, this is the person who these words are about. He's declaring it out loud. It's a massive step, isn't it? He can see something, even though he's blind, about who Jesus is. He says, son of David. So he's saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah, the one that's been promised by God to save his people. That's you. I'm saying that's you. He's saying you're the king, you sit on a throne, there's authority in who you are, and there's power in your name. He's saying all these things as he says, Jesus, son of David. To us, sometimes the words that we don't quite understand, the power of, the significance of, the implications of. 
But for everyone who was in that crowd at the moment, they would have known what he was saying. This is who I think this man is. And he's not just saying it in a whisper, is he, either? He's shouting it. He's declaring something about Jesus, but he's also making this request. Have mercy on me. And you can imagine, can't you, in that moment, it's this blind beggar by the side of the road, probably unclean, unkept, start shouting in this crowd. You're like, it looks irreverent. It looks like unholy to some extent. It looks slightly chaotic. It looks desperate. But that's kind of what it really is, isn't it? It's desperate. It's, it's messy. It's raw. It's real. He's crying out for Jesus in that moment. Because he knows this is his chance. This might be the only chance he gets to cry out to Jesus. For Jesus to actually do something. Um, I, I've got um, uh, a, a four-year-old daughter called Libby who is just about to finish her preschool at Peter and Carol's wonderful establishment. And she's very sad about it. But when Libby was younger uh, and beginning to walk, um, she was, um, and she still isn't massively obedient, but she was less obedient even back then, you know. And when she was, you know, growing in her confidence in walking, um, we, we, we were living in Bristol at the time, and I can remember there was a main road about two doors down from our house. And if when she was sort of tottering out of the the front garden. If she went left, I knew I had to be there pretty quick uh, in order to sort of grab her. And and she um, would just keep walking when I would call out to her. I'd be like, Libby, stop, stop. And she was so excited about having these legs, you know, and using them, you know, that she'd just keep going and keep going and keep going. And and there were a couple of times where the part of me as, as a parent just is... My voice is getting higher and louder as things get more intense, you know, as she gets closer to that road. I, I, and at one point, you know, you really shout because you're desperate for her not to walk in that road. You get there as quick as you can. And it's, it's like Bartimaeus in this moment. There's a desperation in his voice. It's like an, there's an urgency in his voice. He doesn't know if Jesus of Nazareth is ever going to walk past him again. And he knows and he believes who he is. The answer's right in front of him. And he wants things to change. So what's the next thing you hear in the story? Bartimaeus hears the negativity of the crowd, doesn't he? Verse 48 says, Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. They see this irreverent, shouty, unkempt person. Shut up. He's not interested in you. Shush, shush. You've got no place here. That kind of stuff is being said over this man. And this sort of crowd and this culture, they don't enjoy his, his level of intrusion. That it's, he's not their idea of what's acceptable. And it's not the kind of religious behavior that they, they want to see. You know, someone being raw and desperate like that. It's not clean. It's not within the boundaries that they want to see things happening. And I don't know if you, if you feel the same way, but sometimes in our day, um, I, I can definitely relate to feeling sometimes paralyzed by the fear of what the crowd will say to me when I open my voice, you know, when I use my voice, when I open my mouth. I anticipate a rebuke of some kind. You know, sometimes I won't even begin to shout or to open myself up to Jesus in case 
people around me think it's too loud or too messy or too irreverent. And what we can sometimes forget is that in the Gospels, often the people that experience the most like miraculous healing and restoration and wholeness and freedom are the people who either by choice or their circumstances are publicly out there in front of Jesus and exposed. There are time and time again where people find themselves in a place of vulnerability and and exposed before Jesus. And often those are the people who experience something of God's miraculous power in that moment. Miraculous grace, miraculous healing. Right, what do they hear next? The crowd hear Bartimaeus' response to their negativity. What does he do? All the louder. He shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. How does he respond? He becomes more animated, doesn't he? He, he, he repeats his words, but he refuses to let the words of the world dismantle his faith and his behavior. You know, like these words that he's heard about Jesus have come and taken like, place in his heart. You can tell he's like storing these things up. He doesn't allow the words of the world to do the same thing. He doesn't allow the words of the world to impact what's going on in here in this moment, such as his level of desperation and need of Jesus. He doesn't give those words permission. It's almost like, um, you know, sometimes when, when I'm playing with our kids, you know, they'll heap cushions from our sofa on top of me, you know, like one after another after another, and they think, yeah, we've got dad, you know, and then they'll jump on top of the cushions, you know, and there's this moment where dad bursts out, you know, Kids go flying in every direction, and we pray it's not towards the fireplace, you know, um, with no fire in it, hopefully. Uh, but you know what I mean? There's this moment where you just burst out, and it's like Bartimaeus. It's like all this stuff's been heaped on him in that moment, but he's not letting it hold him back. It's like he bursts out of that, that place of negativity. And there's also this inner voice for Bartimaeus that's going on as well. So there's these external voices from the culture, but there's an internal voice as well that's at play here. And I... Um, you know how it says in the, in the passage that um, uh, it says about his name, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus. Do you, you pick up on that as Jesse read it? It's quite a strange thing to read. In the, it's not like a, a regular pattern that when the gospel, in the gospel, as the gospels write about people, they explain what their names mean. It's a bit of a weird thing. And I was looking into it thinking, what is, why? Why do they put the meaning of his name here? And the name, what the name means in Aramaic is Bar... So the of Bartimaeus means son of, and Timaeus means unclean or defiled. That man's name means son of someone who is unclean or defiled. That's what he's worn all his life. That's the name he's owned all his life. You are unclean and defiled. So not only is there a battle of the external voice going on here in this moment. But for Bartimaeus, there's an internal battle as well. Am I going to let this name define me? Who I am, who I put myself in front of, who I reach out for? Even his name is a barrier to him reaching out to this holy, messianic king who's in front of him. And some of us will be the same, we'll have that inner voice that gets in the way of us reaching out to Jesus as well. 
I wonder what yours says. You've made too many mistakes. Many bad choices. You're not holy enough. Didn't grow up in the right kind of family. Don't know the lingo. Not educated enough. Addicted to something. Unimportant. Failed too many times. What's the inner voice saying to you? What gets in the way of you reaching out for Jesus in the way that this guy does? With such rawness and realness. My sister lives with some friends of hers, and I remember having a chat to them about what I do at working in church circles, and I remember them saying, one of them saying to me, if I ever walked into a church, I'd burn up. You know, that was her story. That's what she, I don't think she actually thought that, but she, that was what she wore inside. Not, not good enough, not holy enough to enter into whatever this is. Bartimaeus is wrestling against the external and the internal in this moment. What else does he hear? What's the next thing he hears in the story? Or the next thing that's heard is that Jesus hears Bartimaeus. Verse 9, Jesus stopped. Sorry, verse 49. How do you stop God in his tracks? It's a question that's been ringing around my head this week. How do you stop God in his tracks? Because that's what Bartimaeus has done in this moment. He got real with him, didn't he? He got really real with God. And he got desperate for God. He got desperate for Jesus. And he calls out with everything he's got. He calls past the like rebukes of the world and the culture that he's in. He calls past the name which he's worn. He gets past all that. And he reaches out and calls out for Jesus, even though it's messy and desperate and probably doesn't look that great. That's how you stop God in his tracks. You call out for him with everything you've got from a real place, despite the mess, despite the brokenness, despite what you might think about yourself or whatever, despite what you carry, despite what other people have said about you, called you, you reach out for Jesus out of that place in a real way. That's how you, that's how you stop God in his tracks. What's the next thing he hears? He hears Jesus' voice. Jesus says, call him. This crowd get this guy up, don't they? Cheer up on your feet, they say. It's quite a weird phrase you find in the middle of it. But we see Jesus fully God and fully man. And who is his concern for in this moment? Jesus' concern, his ears are attuned in for the ostracized, the marginalized, the cast aside, the rebuked, the downtrodden, the disabled, the one who's worn a name which they never deserved all their life. The people who don't think they're good enough, but reach out for him, even though that's the case. God doesn't just notice Bartimaeus, doesn't just stop in his tracks and go, oh, he calls him over, doesn't he? he? He singles him out. He meets him. He interacts with him. He wants to look into his eyes and change this man's life. That's who Jesus is as he comes to show us who God is. He's not just someone who says, oh, yeah, I notice you and I'm on my business. He notices this man and he draws him in. He wants this man to know, I see you. 
I see you and I love you. He's not a God who is afraid to meet us in our brokenness. In fact, probably that's what he's most drawn to in so many ways when we're real about that brokenness. What's the next thing we hear in the story, the next sound? Bartimaeus hears from Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? Imagine hearing those words from Jesus. It's a blind person. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus is concerned. Tell me. Vocalize what you want from me. Tell me. And Bartimaeus replies, the next sound we hear in this story, Rabbi, I want to see. There's this like intimate interaction, isn't there? It's just them two. What do you need? What do you want? And Bartimaeus tells him, this is what I want. He just I want to see. There's no like fluff around it. Jesus, maybe if you could spare a bit of your power and you could open my left eye, that would be great, you know. Could I trouble you for a bit of your time? Maybe some of your saliva in some dirt, you know, if you know any of the other stories. It's none of that. It's I want to see. It's plain and simple. This is what I want. Don't you love that? That, that just honesty, the raw honesty of the guy. I told you about Libby earlier, um, our four-year-old, who... Um, uh, is rather disobedient and runs off. But um, she, she is so sweet as well. And she's been learning, we've been sort of learning how to pray together as a, as a family. And um, Phoebe, our eldest, is uh, seven. And when she prays, she's, she uses quite a lot of words and she's, you know, dear God. And, you know, she'll kind of elaborate on the issue a little bit. And, you know, she's... Um, and Libby, not interested in any of the fluff. You know, if you ask Libby to pray for something, she gets straight to the nitty-gritty. She'll say, dear God, do this. And then she'll say at the end, for some reason our kids have developed this phrase, you are well and truly God, amen. Okay? <laughs> we, we don't know where it's come from. We kind of like it. Um, it says what we think, you know, but you're well and truly God, amen. So Libby, if like, she's praying for Gramps' leg or, or, you know, someone, she's like, dear God, Heal Gramps' leg, you're well and truly God, amen. And then she's like, I'm done. You know, sometimes, sometimes we've just got to come to God with what's going on. Tell him what you need. Tell him what you want. Don't worry about trying to move his heart. You know, his heart's there. Don't worry about trying to, like, win him over. He's won over. He loves you. You know, you're his favorite. We're all his favorite, you know. The last thing Bartimaeus hears, we hear in the story, is the words of Jesus again. Go, your faith has healed you. Go, your faith has healed you. Jesus tells him, your faith has healed you. Your faith was the key to your healing. You know, sometimes I wonder when I pray to God or I ask God to intervene in a situation in my life, whether... Uh, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, um, I can always pray about this again tomorrow. You know, there's not like the sense of urgency necessarily about this issue or whatever it is that I'm praying about. Sometimes there is, but more often than not, I can always pray about this again tomorrow. But Bartimaeus is so desperate, isn't he, in this moment? He's so desperate. 
that this might be the only chance he gets with Jesus. There was no guarantee he was ever going to see Jesus again. And he, he shouts with such urgency and desperation, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I just wonder whether in our day, in our time, we need to pick up a little bit of that Bartimaeus-type desperation in the way that we ask God to intervene in the situations in our lives. Because all too often I'm just, I'll pray about it again tomorrow, or I'm sure something else will happen, you know. But if we really want God to intervene in our lives, in the things that are going on around us, maybe we just need to learn a little bit from this guy, Bartimaeus, who wasn't put off by the things that everyone else said to him. He wasn't put off by looking messy or unholy or disheveled or whatever it was in front of all these people. He wasn't put off that he'd worn this name about being defiled and unclean for his whole life. He wanted his healing. And he knew Jesus could give it to him. And so he called out with desperation, Son of David, have mercy on me. So, that's all I've got to say, really. Um, So I wonder whether tonight um, you have come here and maybe there's some clear clear things that you want God to intervene in in your life. And um, we're going to make a space just to pray uh, in a minute uh, for those kind of things. Maybe you're here tonight and there's um, there's some healing that you need. You know, we want to pray for people to be healed like this man was when he received his sight. Can you imagine what that was like for him to have his eyes opened? To follow Jesus down the road. He can see the road for the first time. He can see who Jesus is. All this stuff. The joy that must have spilled out of this man in that moment. You know, we want to we experience that. We want to experience what it is to encounter God's power and God's presence and be, you know, healed and set free and restored to who we're meant to be. Um, so I just want you to think, what is it in your life that you want to be a bit more desperate for? To see Jesus intervene and to see Jesus move in. Just let him speak to you now for a minute. Let's just, be, let's just hold a bit of silence. Just ask the Lord, Lord, what is it? Something in my life? Something in one of my friends' lives? Something in my family? Something across the world? That you just want to increase my desperation for tonight?